Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And joining us today, Bill Barheit, founder and CEO of Crypto Investment and Wealth Management Platform, Abra. Now, before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022 with a total of $1.2 million in prizes across Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. The wait is over. Tron Grand Hackathon presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. This episode is also brought to you by Ledin. From Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts to Bitcoin-backed loans, Ledin's financial services enable you to benefit from your holdings today without selling your Bitcoin. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. All right. Once again, we are very excited to welcome Bill Barheit, founder and CEO of Crypto investment and wealth management platform, Abra, which is now a bank. In process. Or Absolutely. in the process of being That's right. a bank, That's which right. you announced at Salt. That's right. So thanks for coming on the show. How are, how are things going? You know, I guess I have to give two answers, right? I, I feel great about where Abra is right now, coming out of what was a horrible summer for our space, and you know, I'll look uh, point to the companies that didn't survive the summer as as a primary example of that. Uh, a lot of the things that we were complaining about vis-a-vis -vis these companies proved to be spot on. Honestly, I didn't think it was all going to happen in two to three weeks. <laughs> I thought it might take two to three years, but um, I guess that's the way it goes. We had our LTCM moment, and now hopefully we're moving on from that, although there was some news today, I guess, that, that contradicts that a little bit, but it was more DeFi-related. And um, yeah, I mean, look, we've been laying chess pieces for a multi-year game in crypto, uh, whether it's for lending, retail, institutional trading, using NFTs, uh, game, even gaming. I mean, we just see this as a multi-decade game to play and uh, want to be profitable along the way and build a viable business and not just wait for the end game. And that's what we're doing. And uh, we've had, we had a phenomenal growth last year. Um, the fact that we're going to come in close to that this year, or maybe even beat it a little bit, is, I think, a testament to the quality of the team we've built. And so in that regard, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I guess part two of, of the kind of com com competitive landscape is the macros are shit. It's not and, looking good. Uh, and it's not looking good. And, you know, I think the Fed is in a quandary because the economy really is going to shit. On the other hand, housing prices, which are probably the ultimate kind of lagging indicator of inflation, are making inflation look much worse than it probably is right now, which means that from a political perspective, the Fed can't do what it probably should be doing, which is uh, basically do nothing, which is the right balance of helping Europe and Japan and um, making sure that we don't go into a deep recession, which now seems 
pretty much un- we've been in a recession for a while by my standards. The president nice. says we're not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. He's like Rain Man sometimes. I don't know if he knows which question he's answering, or, or we know which question he's answering. He might be answering a question from half an hour ago. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really scary right now. And, and honestly, I'm I'm not much more bullish on Powell himself, uh, who probably has more power than the president right now. Anyway, just given given where we're at, and 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 the entire world seems to be focused on macro right now, which in my career I've never seen. Um. Yeah, and and that doesn't look good. And like I said, they've really backed themselves into uh, a corner that I don't think they really know themselves how to get out of. And um, they just feel that they have to send a message that we're just going to do whatever it takes. And 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 whatever it takes is actually pushing us deeper and deeper into the recession that we're already in. And then at some point when they realize, okay, we have no choice, we're going to get the great pause. And the great pause is basically going to look like them patting themselves on the back for basically getting inflation under control, which actually means we're in deep shit and they got no more shit on the shelf to bring the bear to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and I think that's going to happen. I thought it was going to happen in November, December. And now I'm even more worried that I think it might actually happen in like February, March. Um, I don't know. But, but by yeah. what measures do you think we're in a recession? Because um, here's the thing here's the thing that's unique. The labor market looks so good, right? And this is the only metric or talking point that the president has and this administration has to kind of prop up this idea that the economy is in good shape. 3% unemployment is pretty good. It's historic. And there's been, you know, there have been millions of jobs created since uh, the president took office. But that is really it. That doesn't make a difference. But but, but the, the jobs that have been created the last five years... Don't map with the the the, the inflation numbers versus um, hourly wages. So so dig in a layer deeper, right? Double click on what you just said. The number of short term workers coming back into the workforce because they can't find anything else is at an all time high, as far as I can understand the, the research. And what that's telling us is is that the quality. Well, first of all, the labor force sh- shrunk significantly, right? Um, and now it's starting to increase again. Because certain people have uh, certain segments of the population have no choice but to seek work, and if you look at the quality of the work they're seeking, it's very low quality, uh, and that's a big problem. And and I think that you're going to start to see a, a dramatic increase in um, companies taking higher quality jobs listings off public listings, and and then see a trend reversal, but the numbers are going to be skewed. By this short-term worker phenomenon, which yeah. is which is I- increasing both the numerator and the denominator at the same time. So, what metrics do you look at or see that indicate that we are already in a recession, despite the hard efforts of one Jerome Powell? Yeah, I mean, look, I, by every measure, the, the broader economy is shrinking. Uh, supply chains are pointing to inventories exploding, right? which was a combination of fear of, of Asian and other disruptions coming out of COVID. But, you know, when I look at ISM and other things, the slowdown, we, we've basically hit a brick wall mm. by most traditional standards of economic measures, whether it's ISM, whether it's supply chains, whether it's inventories, um, all kinds of commodity prices are tanking. Uh, pretty much the only thing that's not right now is, is, is house rentals. And yes. that, that's always a trailing indicator by and large. And once that catches up, they're going to regret this approach, in my opinion. Uh, but it won't matter because they'll already be patting themselves on the back and, and, and diluting us, 
with more delusional other things that have no basis in in reality. So you can tell I'm I'm pretty bearish on the their ability to kind of quote unquote manage the house of cards effectively. But what that tells me is is that once the great pause comes, they're going to have no choice but to pump massive amounts of liquidity back into the system again, because we're we're, we're literally in the midst of of one of the biggest credit tightening episodes that our economy has ever seen. Certainly the biggest in, in, in the time I've been on this earth. And uh, it's it's untenable at, at this rate. But just when we were about to start the tightening, we got hit with one of the most unprecedented uh, economic health-related catastrophes in several generations and sure sure i mean it was it was it but it was a comedy of errors at the same time right so so the past is the past we can't undo it but the yeah. reality is is that it turned on it turned into a comedy of errors and now we're paying the price you have to pay the price at some point um yeah. it's interesting you know the degree to which some of these problems still linger and hang over the economy the supply chain being another it's almost like you're caught up when you're caught up with that addiction of liquidity and you, you think that you're going to finally stop and sort of move forward, another, another challenge comes your way. And, and the only solution we can think of is, is more easing to yeah. some degree, um, yeah. with, with Russia being an example, the latest example, the Russian conflict with Ukraine. It, it's such a complex, multidimensional problem, right? The, the companies not wanting to overspend in the supply chains for fear of, of, of more lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, you know, people's um, stuffing inventories, which are now going to go um, untapped. Watch for Walmart sales. That's a very good leading indicator. And shit at Walmart is getting cheaper, right? So, so that is a phenomenal way to realize, okay, these supply chains have been stuffed to the hilt. And what are we going to do with all this crap that nobody wants? That's a big problem. Uh, at the same time, car- I can't get my windows. I get a text from the guy this morning. He goes, Frank, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just waiting to hear back from the suppliers. It's been eight months. Uh, you know, again, I think in certain supply chains where people stop working, the question was, we don't want to stuff inventory because we're afraid of a lockdown. But in things like electronics and, and other mm-hmm. clothing and cheap clothing in particular and the things that Walmart sells, no, too much. they went the other way. You know, and, and so... Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, I think the, the, the net net of all this is that um, they're going to have to stop this, this accelerated pace at some point. And I think that certainly will be done by the end of, of Q2, probably the end of Q, the first quarter of next year. And at some point in there, once the market absorbs the expectations of liquidity turning around, um, I just don't see how the expectations for inc- increased money supply don't kind of dramatically alter the fate of the markets that we're, you know, seeing in the doldrums right now. I think one component of the comedy of errors that you're describing was the extent to which the government went really over-indexed on the amount of money vis-a-vis stimulus that people needed deep or rather at the tail end of the pandemic, right? They could have cut off the, they could have turned the faucet off maybe six months sooner before they did. And it was that capital, that that sort of cash, regular folks flushed with it. They took that and then flocked to platforms like Abra and like Robinhood and others. D- 
do we see a reversal of that? Do we now see, you know, especially after everything that's happened in crypto with three arrows and Terra Luna, how do you, how do you keep people sticky on the platform when you had a meltdown effectively in crypto and then more broadly, they're not getting the stimulus checks anymore. Yeah. They're not getting the, there's no yeah. tailwind of liquidity there. So, so a couple of things. One, you didn't ask this, but let me start off by saying I don't. Th I, I think a, a significant percentage of the commodity and asset inflation that we saw. Not, I'm not specifically. I'm not talking about stocks and crypto yet, but the, a large amount of that inflation was actually caused by supply chain disruptions, not by not uh, by the not Fed. by the the Fed pumping money into the system. Okay, I think that was a big misnomer or big misunderstanding in the public that because you know Trump and 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 then Biden were continually. Uh, encouraging this increase in the money supply, that it was leading directly to price inflation. It does over time, but not at the rate it was happening. That was really driven by uh, supply chain to a large extent, and, mm -hmm. and most people don't understand supply chains, so it's much easier to blame the money supply. Okay, so that's one. Yes, if you're going to basically give checks to people who aren't working or working from home, uh, who aren't going out and aren't spending as much money and therefore don't need it in the first place, a lot of extra cash... Right, it, it stands to reason that they're going to be looking for uh, work from home entertainment mm -hmm. options, and for many of them, Robinhood was the preferred, you know, work from home entertainment option. They could, you know, work on one screen and day trade on another screen, and and any, you know, it was clearly happening. You know, um, our business honestly is mostly large depositors, so we're not really competing with that Robinhood crowd at this point for that type of speculation. You could do it with Abra, but if you look at mo where most of the dollars come from, it's actually a combination of our private banking business and our, what I call private banking, which is basically high net worth sales and institutional sales, family offices, trusts. Um, Someone with, you yeah. know. It's, it's a million dollars coming in at once. It's, yeah. not, it's not a thousand. Where we get the smaller deposits tends to be more developing markets. And that's a really interesting part of our business that we don't get to talk too much about because we have we have customers in dozens of countries. And in the U.S., the deposit size are very, very large just because given the nature of who our sales team focuses on. But if you go to Philippines, India, Bangladesh, um, Indonesia, Thailand, we get the, the $5 deposits. Yeah, and, so, and some so of them maybe are internationally you're more competing with whatever the international equivalents of Romna would be. But stateside, it's more like maybe... Coinbase in one river, that sort of yeah, and 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 that's obvious, and, and it's actually those are the services that are the biggest source of deposits, not cash. Hmm. I would say we're not really focused on the crypto uninitiated yet, because it's much easier to market on why you should move crypto from where you're storing it, given that millions of people already have it, um, and that's true in the U.S. I would say Europe, Canada, uh, larger market, you know, countries with larger GDPs, we're, we're, we've been very successful. And helping people make that transition to trust, uh, you know, more of a crypto banking centric model, um, and and certainly the ones who chose us um, have been very grateful um, the past few months. And um, yeah, I think I I definitely saw a slowdown in that trend, and it's definitely coming back now. So what what do inflows versus outflows look like for you guys right now? Yeah, so I'll give you the, the, the kind of vector um, on a month, kind of quarter by quarter basis. Through Q1, it was phenomenal. I mean, we were on a very Phenomenal. Good, phenomenal, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever used that word in a podcast before. <laughs> it was a big uptrend. It was we were, big, we were, big quarter. Exactly. Um, when, when Three Arrows happened, we definitely hit a brick wall in terms of new deposits. 
we were very vocal about the fact that we had we were not suffering from the so-called contagion at all, mm-hmm. and our risk management processes worked fine, and we were taking an even more conservative than normal tact on reserves, mm-hmm. and it definitely we definitely had uh, withdrawals, um, not nearly as much as what our competitors were experiencing, and it was and it was pretty quick, and then it stopped equally quick. And then I would say it was just really slow in June, July. And since then, we've been seeing more deposits than withdrawals. And it's, it's definitely an uptick. And um, particularly in US, Europe, Canada, it's, it's been a pretty good few weeks now. And then this past week with the bank announcement has been very interesting because you know, obviously a lot of our clients are, are pretty, really excited about this, um, this concept. So Why? What does it change? Uh, credi- there's a lot of credibility in that, you know. So, so look, the, the we we kind of created an ethos for ourselves in how we wanted to look at this, right? And that included four things. Let's see if I can remember all four. So it was transparency, oversight, right, security, mm-hmm. and agency. Now, of the four, the first three make total sense if you're running a bank. Mm-hmm. The the last one. Let's dig in like one one level because we fundamentally believe in this mantra of not your keys, not your crypto, which, you know, the irony of that uh, in, in running a bank is not lost on me. But but the point is, is that we are 100 percent committed to saying, OK, if it's your stuff and you want to move it to a Trezor ledger on Sunday at 2 a.m., please do it. All right now, the reality is, if we have a billion users, 995 million of them are not going to understand what I just said. But it's still there. We still believe in it. And, you know, if my money's not in Aber, it's in a hardware wallet. Mm-hmm. My crypto, I mean, you know. And that's what we mean by agency as it relates specifically to, to crypto. Your assets are your assets. And, you know, the others, you can double click, but, but they're more obvious, right? Um, obviously, if you're, if you're a crypto bank and you're regulated as such, you can have significant oversight from myriad regulators. And our, our clients like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, many of them are asking, why didn't the other companies that died have that level of oversight? Right? And, and so, you know, I think we know why in hindsight, but, but um, it wasn't as obvious to everyone else as it was to us because we were completely focused on it. You, you, you know, you get what you focus on, right? So if you're not focused on risk management, you're going to get a lack of risk, ma- risk management, right? Our clients were coming to us, most of them, because of the source, way we were sourcing clients and saying, okay, how are you doing this? How are you protecting funds? Talk to me about concentration risk, right? Very different conversation than I'm sure a lot of our competitors were having. And this formalizes that in a way that gives people a lot of comfort, in my opinion. And not just in the U.S., right? So we've got also, we're also forming an international banking subsidiary uh, for non-U.S. persons as well. And it basically offers the same services, probably some more services that, that are harder to offer in the U.S. Um, that we're looking at. But, but So what can you now offer, like in terms of actual products with a... This sort of banking uh, charter um, that you couldn't before. Well, there's no ambiguity around paying interest, right? So today we partner with Prime Trust. So your your Abra Earn account is a is a account with Prime Trust. Abra Boost, which is our new going to be our new offering for paying interest going forward, will will eventually become part of the bank. And during that migration, um, it will be for accredited users. And then the goal is to is to make it available to retail once the bank fully launches. Because our take all along has been there's only two ways to pay interest in the United States, a bank and a securities offering. And we could never understand why the other companies in the space weren't more vocal about that. Um, 
and 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 didn't just accept it as as fact. That has nothing to do with crypto. Yeah. <laughs> right. Then it really has nothing to do with crypto at all. It's just it's just the way things are. And you may not like the rules, but those are the rules, and they've been the rules for dozens of years. As I said, nothing to do with crypto. Uh, I don't even understand how something like that went unnoticed in a firm. The the idea that we can just take deposits and then give a yield, and that is okay because they're they're cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I I think uh, look. In hindsight, but um, it's it's not even hindsight. I think you know, regulators and enforcement people at regulators also have to pick and choose their own battles. And there's more projects than there are yeah. enforcement people to police them all. And sometimes they just have to wait until something's big enough because they can't justify the time. I don't know. I'm making this up based yeah. upon my years of of experience, but but I think that's right. Um, not and, the IRS. They're getting big. They're gonna yeah. hire. What, what, is it a meme? I don't. Even, I don't want to. I saw. I saw a meme of. I saw a meme of of the um, the first order gathering on yeah. the Death Star with like a hundred thousand uh, stormtroopers. That was it, and yeah. that was the IRS meme. It was apparently eighty five thousand. Eighty seven thousand was the actual armed. Number in, I, the yeah. armed part. I yeah, don't know. That's that, fucking scary. That shit. is scary. I mean, and and the reality is is that if you think about the average size of the tax return. The return on investment of going after the average person is is a roundoff error, and you know, you, you, I'm sorry, but you simply have to focus on, you know, offshore entity. It doesn't anyway. This is a t- big tangent, but yeah. but the approach just makes no sense. Makes no sense. Anyway, we digress. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022. There are a total of $1.2 million in prizes up for grabs in Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. So what are you waiting for? Join Tron for an opportunity to showcase your work, win funding for your project, and network with other builders in the community. Tron Grand Hackathon, presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. I also want to give a shout out to Ledin. Ledin, Bitcoin-backed loans and savings by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. As we've seen, not all digital asset lenders are created equal. Ledin prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with its robust risk management approach. That is why Ledin doesn't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation strategies with its clients' assets and only supports Bitcoin and USDC two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. Ledin is also dedicated to transparency, which is why they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. I feel like there's a lot of questions, concerns. We were even talking about it this morning during one of our editorial calls um, exploring the extent to which Ethereum's transition to proof of stake makes it resemble more like a security at one side, but also a firm like Coinbase or others passing off that yield from staked ETH could make them in some ways function in an uncompliant manner. Yeah, I think uh, that's a tough case to make. You know, this is something that I think is very easy for my maxi friends to latch onto, 
because you know nobody's really double clicking on what it, what that means technically and legally. But yeah. the reality is is that if a smart contract basically creates something and and applies that something to a wallet address with no off switch, calling that a a security offering is not a good argument. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I and and I have yet to ever meet a a lawyer who's in any way initiated in crypto who would have questioned me on that. So so then the other piece is okay. Well, what about the constant combination of the concentration risk of a few parties staking combined with um, you know the actual hosting itself of of the assets which are effectively staked and or or staking nodes and mm. and so I think the way I look at that is it's to me. It's, it's an extension of the last argument, which is say, okay, they're, they're basically Dropbox, right? In so far that, you know, I can, I can put my Ethereum key in a document and then store it on Dropbox. Dropbox doesn't know that it's hosting that. Is, is Dropbox a money transmitter when they're doing that? By today's standards, I would say probably not. And then the question becomes, is the fact that um, Coinbase actually knows that they're storing the ETH make them a money transmitter by today's definition? The answer is yes, it does. And this, But the smart contract is still automatically making those payouts into the staked Ethereum, right? There's nothing that Coinbase is doing to affect that, nothing. They're running a big hard disk. And and so it, it just, it's, it's a ridiculous argument, you know? And, and so there's so many more interesting things around using crypto for fundraising that, that make infinitely more sense for regulators to spend time on and our money on. <laughs> yeah. Matter. Well, I hope that's the case. Um, I feel like Chair Gensler has been insanely predictable over the past several years. And I was speaking with an executive at a former trading firm where he once spoke, and it's the same talking points. It's the same sort of line, the vast majority of these of these things are securities. He hasn't changed his tune, but he also hasn't really done anything. I mean, the lawsuit against Ripple has proven to be insanely challenging. So is this, is this hopium or cope on, on my part to think, okay, it's been, he's already been there for, and with all due respect to his office for several, for a few years mm. and can't even take down Ripple. Is that is that respite uh, we can sort of uh, find ourselves in? Yeah. So I think that, as I said earlier, I think you have to basically pick and choose your battles. And most of these projects that may have been securities at one point, even if they still are, a lot of them are worthless. And the amount of money that may have been raised was was very very small. Um, now there are some real ICOs that were probably securities offerings. And you know the question is, can the SEC go after all of them? Yeah. And then there was guidance, I think, in 2017 um, that you know may have grandfathered some of them in because it was unclear. And and we'll never know. I don't think they'll ever be able to go after all of them, so we'll never really know the truth. But I also think that um, you know at the same time, right? So some of the the things that he does really aligns himself with kind of the the left-wing faction of the Democratic mm -hmm. Party. I mean, Maxine Waters in particular. My impression of Maxine Waters is if she could snap her fingers and make crypto go away tomorrow, she would. Um, I don't know if that was a ding for, do you agree? Or 
Um, ding once if you if you agree. So so there you go. So she so, loves Sam Bankman Free. Yeah, but, but but follow the money. I heard know? that she uh, gave him a nice kiss on the cheek. No when doubt, she last but saw but him. but follow the money, and and so that's where he's very clever, and and um, you know I can't say I wouldn't be doing what he's doing if I was in in the same shoes, but but um, I think he has bigger dibs on a future in the Democratic Party, and by ingratiating yourself with the head of the the House Finance Committee. Uh, you can only help your lot, I, I would assume, uh, and and that's very worrisome to me. Because look, I, I I I've met him when he was at MIT, and and he and and look, I, I he's clearly changed a lot of his messaging since he moved from MIT to the SEC. Oh, right? Gensler, Gensler, Got yeah. It. Uh, and and like I said, do two things, right? Look at who's in charge and who he reports to. And follow the money. I'm so sorry. I thought you were talking about Sam. For, oh, for, the, well, for what a he, second. I mean, anybody who looks at that, it's, it's obvious. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to use your influence to basically so create. Sam, Sam going to run? No, no, no. But he's going to use his influence to create outcomes that make more sense for what he wants, and that's what anybody in that situation probably should do. And and I don't have a problem with that because no. he's not he's not in a position of power other than the money. It's the people who are in positions of elected power or in some cases unelected power like the SEC that, you know, I worry about because, like I said, you know, to me, Bitcoin ultimately is a, is a free speech issue. And to have somebody be head of, of, a, of one of the most powerful finance groups in the world want that to disappear is very disconcerting to me. And um, like I said, she is his number one um, – basically number one attack dog to basically make that happen. And he is going to take advantage of that, in my opinion, on an ongoing basis, as long as it helps him politically. Mm. And I see no, um, I see no end for that other than... Okay, so you, other than, so you uh, think that he's going to be a bit more aggressive? I don't... Well, okay, that's a different question. That's a different question. So the question. question is, okay, he has to pick and choose his battles. He's asked for more money for enforcement, but he's not going to get 80, 87,000 IRS agents or enforcement agents in in his SEC enforcement division, and so he's still going to have to pick and choose his battles. And so, you know, the, Ripple as a case in point, the big mistake there was, in my opinion, they waited too long, mm. right? So... If you're a sane judge looks at this and go, okay, your point is they've been basically doing illegal securities offerings for umpteen, uh, however many years, okay? What changed in year six <laughs> other mm. than the fact that they had raised 6x the money, mm. right? What, you know, this was a lot of money in years one, two, three, four, and five. Mm. Why did you wait all these years to do this? That makes absolutely no sense, okay? Like I said, I can understand the smaller ICOs, especially if they were pre-guidance, but you gave guidance and they kept doing it. So I'm not saying it was a securities offering. I really don't know all the details, um, but I do know you let it go on, which, you know, to a certain degree, as one of the largest fundraising models in all of crypto history, implies to me that you were okay with it. You certainly didn't issue public warnings to investors saying you really shouldn't be investing in this because it's a security offering without all the disclosures. Where was that warning to the investors you're trying to protect? Yeah, fair enough. Um, they make fun of me. People who listen to the show, they say I talk too slow. You know what I do? And it's interesting. 
I had this with all people that I talk to one on one, and then people I listen to on the trails because I hike and run, and I mm-hmm. listen to you guys as mm-hmm. well as like Pomp and others. And I, you're on one point five speed, so and not not because you talk slow, but that's yeah. just what I do. I'm a New Yorker that I can go as fast as I want. Yeah. But <laughs> so when I get here, I'm like, why why is Foxy talking so slow? And <laughs> and I have I've, I've had this discussion that's with so with with a bunch of your peers as well, and and, and you just assume that everyone talks much faster. You're uh, not used to uh, yeah yeah the normal like, cadence. You know, I I know Shimon a little bit. You know, I listen to all on all in as well, and. Same thing with them on 1.5. And then I, I, I happened to see Jason at another conference. It's like, Jason, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Say it, say it, say it. I know you're in New York. You're in Brooklyn. Get it out. And he is from New York. Yeah. 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 He uh, went to Fordham just like me. Really? You went to Fordham? Yeah. yeah. That's very cool. My mom yeah. would love that. She's, she's a, 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 she grew up in the Bronx. You sound like you could have uh, went to Fordham. I, I lost um, a lot of the accent when I moved to Europe. I don't think so. It comes back when I talk faster. Got and it. And I've also been here for two weeks. So when, when I'm in California, when I'm in Europe with non-native English-speaking friends, it flattens out a little bit. And then I, sure. you know, the drunker I get and, and the more of a wise-ass I feel like, yeah. the George Carlin It does, or like out. Alan Alda to a degree. I, uh, there's a reporter, um, Katie Greinfeld, who's at Bloomberg. I, was, I saw her the other day and I, um, I was like, you have probably the thickest New Jersey accent on television. That I see, and she was quite offended. And then later in the conversation, I think she was talking about a dog. And I was like, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It's all good. I used to have, um, as well, much thicker New Jersey accent with all words ending in A-L-L. Mm. All, mm. mall, ball, I still, call. water I still struggle with. And that's even when I was living in Europe, talking slowly, you know, multiple languages. Anyway. I don't know why that was. That's one word I can hear it. I can water. Hear, yeah, water. I ha, I have water. Yeah, water. How do you how do you say it? Well, I say I say water, but I have to say like if I like I can like the water. I can, water. I can do that. Wow. But I I try not to. That's um, that's next and, level. Yeah, that's next level. And and um, have you been to Arthur Avenue? I have. Um, I I so so we. Uh, had family in the Bronx until I think I was like twelve. Okay, I don't remember the exact year, and then they kind of slowly dispersed all. Where in the Bronx? So, so, so I was um, Hackchester. <laughs> um, so, DeKalb Avenue area. Sure. Uh, I think I was born in Montefiore Hospital, as I recall, before we moved to Fort Lee. And uh, I, I that area just got worse and worse. I hate to say it, as mm-hmm. I, I remember, you know, vaguely. Um, uh, you know, it's 40 years ago, so I don't remember all the details, but I just remember that I was pretty happy when we weren't going anymore, to be honest. <laughs> so. That's funny. Yeah. Um, now uh, the South Bronx, they're trying to redevelop it, calling it Sobro. They built all these luxury <sighs> condos against so the water, but that's what they're calling it. Um, so we've talked all about, we talked at the beginning of the conversation about macro quite a bit. Crypto seemingly fell the hardest of any asset and the quickest. You know, the air was sucked out of the system so quickly. Is it is it overly optimistic to think that all of these issues that we've sort of opined on have been priced in in crypto and we maybe got there first, right? Because typically, right, this is the at the end of the risk spectrum and as things get bad, you sell off your riskiest assets assets to the extent that you can. Sure. Um, you've talked about leading indicators. Have we, you know, everyone who would sell um, 
you know, who, who sees trouble on the horizon maybe have already sold their crypto. Mm. Well, we all want to find patterns in everything, especially if they make our case. So, so I'll, I'll say take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but I guess the first question that I would ask in that regard is what's different this time? Because we've seen this four times before, right? So, so we've seen the, 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 the kind of crypto halving cycles play out with extreme run-ups and extreme rundowns, and, and this is no different. Um, as a matter of fact, this isn't as big of a, of a sell-off as the earlier ones, that earlier cycles we've seen. We've seen bigger ones. Um, I guess the biggest difference this time is the macroeconomic cycle, where liquidity is being sucked out of the system at a rate we haven't seen in our lifetimes. And that transcends crypto, of course. So it would make sense in that regard that um, you know crypto wouldn't be going up. But <laughs> given where we are in the cycle, does it still make sense, regardless of macros, that crypto is going down? You could probably make the case that it does. I mean, macro is so powerful. Like the merge sure. gave gave us three trading sessions of green mm. candles, and then completely, hundred percent, completely, hundred percent. So I, I agree with that. And and so, you know, look, the the things that there's two things that I think are really incredible about what happens with the merge, right? So, you're you're you're. The, the analogy I use is it's like going shopping now with with dollar bills, yeah. handing $10 in paper bills to the cashier, and she burns two of them. Mm-hmm. Takes out a match and literally burns two of them. That's what's happening with Ethereum now. That combined with the fact that you're basically no longer inflating via mining, mm-hmm. it just creates a tremendous network value uh, combined with the network effects, which by and large... Um, have not stopped, you know. If you look at the usage of stable coins, the usage of DeFi, the usage of NFTs, it's it's all growing by and large. You know, it has b- bumps in the road, but when you combine the deflationary nature of the token being used as gas with the the network effects, it, it's it now just, a productive asset. It, yeah, exactly. And I think I think that bodes well for the future of both Ethereum and Bitcoin because it just keeps generating blocks. You know, it's, it's, it's proven resilience over 10 years. You know, it, it, it's looking more and more like the atomic structure of gold insofar that making a change requires an act of God, which is probably what you want in super hard sound money. And the two are diverging in terms of their purposes. Mm. And as a result, I expect the way we value them to diverge, but that's still relative to a fact that both tokens would be considered risk on assets, which means when there's a big broad-based macroeconomic sell-off, they're going to go down along with everything else. Uh, Feels like just yesterday Bitcoin was the fastest horse in the inflation race and now I think that narrative is the w- slowest. I think that narrative was wrong and I, and I think I, I was one of the people leading the charge in it. And I think the reason that it's wrong is that it's about the promise of what it will be and its use case of what it will become, not what it is. And I think we got ahead of ourselves and I got ahead of myself in that explanation. And there's a big difference between investing in the promise of what something's going to be and investing in some, in what something is. And, and um, so I think the two valuation models that I'm alluding to in terms of Bitcoin and Ethereum have, a, have some overlap, but the use cases that drive the network defects, effects diverge dramatically over time. Mm. I think that's fair to say. And to a degree, um, I mean, it was the fastest horse. It's just the race went on and on and on. 
Yeah, and, and, and go back to May of last year, China mining ban. I think Bitcoin was on a path, it's pure speculation, obviously, because I have no crystal ball, but but on, on a path to 100,000, maybe 85, 90, and probably would have peaked there if it wasn't for the China mining ban, which basically took the network effects that were happening and put the brakes on. Mm-hmm. And we didn't replace it with anything um, in the meantime. And then, of course, the macro headwinds started. So, so I think... It's, what's interesting is is that we haven't fallen as far as we did in the last cycle, but if we had continued the run-up and got to exactly where we are now, we would have basically had the same fallback in prices as yeah. we did the last cycle. The same. Just that Bitcoin didn't reach as high of a point as it would have otherwise, which is something that doesn't really get any coverage because it never happened. And and so, But I think that's why it didn't happen. And um, so, so the reason I'm saying that is I think related to your question, I think by and large this is priced in now. And yeah, Bitcoin could go to 14, it could go to, to one, I'd buy it all at one, but 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 you know, I don't think we're gonna see $10,000 Bitcoin, I could be totally wrong. But it doesn't really matter at this point because if you really look at it in terms of the valuation model I'm describing, you know, network effects, money supply, and, 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 and you know, uh, broad-based usage, either as digital gold or, or as the, you know, the, Decentralized, decentralized application network for the internet, which is what Ethereum is, right? The network effects are tremendous. So what that means in English is the bet is I can lose another 30, 40, 50%, mm-hmm. or I could ride this another 100x, you know, sure. in terms of the valuation of the network itself. And I don't spend my day thinking about that, right? I'm building, I'm trying to build a bank that uses all this, mm-hmm. right? It's, I have enough time, I have enough to do worrying about that than I do about valuation models. Um, I've made my bet. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm just trying to basically do my part to make it happen. Yeah. Well, where can we learn more about how you're making that happen at Abra, Bill? Uh, where Ab- can we find Abra. you? Abra.com, obviously. Uh, please, uh, you know, and obviously you can go to find Abra on the app stores. We're very active on on social media, Abra Global on Twitter. Uh, we're on Reddit. We're, um, you'll find us on Facebook and all the usual places. I'm also on Twitter pretty, not every day, but some, some days, Bill Barhead on Twitter. Come say hello. Once again, we've been joined by our guest, Bill Barheit, CEO of Abra. We thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, man. Great to see you. Great to see you. The Scoop will be back for you with another great guest. Have an awesome day.